nights when one drink with the girls turns into a bottle, but you need your car for brunch the next day. There's pickup. Or at Friday work drinks, where you don't want to leave your car with expensive tools at the pub. There's pickup. Don't miss out on the fun. Get a pickup. Simply book on our app, and we'll pick you up to drive you and your car home. Two drivers arrive, one drives you home in your car, and the other driver follows. Download the pickup app today. That's PKUP, and wake up worry free. Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup. Hi, I'm Rick Kelly. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. From the racetracks across Australia, and here's Inside Supercars. Hello, and welcome to Inside Supercars. I'm Tony Whitlock. In the last show, we heard from Peter Wallace, who suggested that supercars need to speak to people like Steve Dewhurst who had an enormous amount of experience in Australian and world motorsport. Well, supercars might not have called Steve, but we have, and today you'll get to hear about a man who has worked all over the world and has a remarkable career from Formula 4 to Formula 1 and a lot in between. Steve has six years experience in the UK and worked with an enormous number of organisations to hone his skills and knowledge. Four years with Swindon Racing Engines and, and two years with, with Brian Hart. And it's, I guess the, the highlight would probably be the turbo development with Brian Hart. And Brian was a quite an exceptional, a practical engineer who was every every day was physically involved with with the engines and quite a dynamic person you know would talk of, of something you know in the evening and come back to work the next morning and buy and produce a drawing that he'd, he'd done overnight you know not probably what a drawing office would call a, a formal drawing but everything that was there was needed and you know he was a very very practical person and with a um a deep understanding of, of what was what was going on brian had spent time with cosworth and then the company actually um was become connected after that period after the turbo period cosworth had bought into to Brian Hart. To keep things going, uh, it was in the early era of the three and a half litre category. He had been a, a Lotus employee and and also um, a Cosworth employee. It probably, in the UK, a lot of those people came from the, Brian came from de Havilland's his his brother that that also worked there, Maurice Philippe, who um, designed for for Colin Chapman. He was a de Havilland's person. There were, there were a, a lot of people that uh, had come through de Havilland's, um, both M- Mike Costin and um, his his brother Frank. Who was the aerodynamicist? They were um, well, they have on its people. So, in, in that time, the aircraft 
industry and the, the motor racing industry were were probably pretty closely connected. Steve Dewhurst was part of the team that created one of the more remarkable supercars that has graced the track. It was 1995 and Mark Larkin was making the move from Formula Brabham. Steve picks up on the story as how he was asked to work on the design of the EL Falcon, the Mitre 10 car. I sort of took on that that project, basically, yeah, look, looking after the design, which was all-inclusive. I was involved with the engine, but more so with the chassis. Yeah, that, that was sort of my project, and the uh, initial the fabrication was done at Goulburn with Alwyn Bickley, and Dave Moore did a, a lot of the machining that car, and it, it did spend some time at, at Dave's before Mark got his first workshop at, at Smithfield, where the, the car was sort of completed you know, where it ran its first season from. While Steve had made a name for himself building and developing engines on this project, he had the opportunity to work on the whole package. It, it was certainly different from the from the engines. I guess I I just saw it as a as an engineering from an engineer point of view. You know, I'd I'd continually had a pretty close interest with chassis from originally my time at at Varanas running cars and sort of then through the the Formula Pacific era I was uh, involved with Andrew Medici and um, Bruce Carey who'd done a lot of work with Andrew and and Bruce had actually done pretty much all the the prototype work with Ron Toronac on those uh, era of the uh, RT2, RT3 and RT4, which were the Formula 2, Formula 3 and Atlantic versions of the of the car. You know, they, were, they were very, very similar, just um, modified for the different categories. So, yeah, I'd always had some involvement with with, with chassis design and, and work or, you know, not so much practical but yeah I'd always cast an eye around and you know being you know quite aware of of what was uh, was going on in that field I suppose even from the the time in in the UK sort of to see what the, the initial initial work with with Tolmans and and also the Formula 3 project I attended sort of every race meeting with the Unicart Formula 3 team. So uh, even though not not directly, I, I was quite familiar with, with all the systems. But yes, it, it was quite a, um, I suppose, a, a different challenge. And there were quite a, a number of, of different things about that car. Some that were outlawed, some that were discarded and I guess some things that that still sort of appear today. Mike Raymond highlighted some of the innovations when this car was launched on Seven Sport. One look over the machine tells you the Mitre 10 team is all about engineering excellence. From its cage construction and bracing to almost a Formula One seat and cockpit layout, 
This Falcon is different, without bending the rules. Well, we want to get to the front, Mike, like everyone, and uh, we're, we're a small team, we're, we're fairly lean, but we've got good people, and uh, we believe if we get the design of the car right from the outset, uh, that may be enough to let us... We'd like to creep into the top six by the end of the year. I think that's, that's, that's our target. Coming up, we ask Steve what he thinks of Gen 3 and his thoughts on what a supercar could be if you had a blank piece of paper. But first, you should know where his remarkable career began. I was born and raised in St Arnold, Central Victoria. Well, secondary school, I went to Maribyrnong Tech. And, you know, I basically no motorsport connections because there wasn't too much of that in country Victoria in the in the 50s. From there, I, well, I suppose used to, as a kid, with my elder brothers and used to go to the Calder, watch the races, and you became quite interested and read plenty of magazines. And so when I went to, to work, I wanted to um, do something in the engineering and motorsport side of things. And um, I uh, packed myself off to Melbourne and um, knocked on the door of, of Paul England. Paul was good enough to, to give me a start as a, an apprentice uh, automotive machinist, which was engine reconditioning. It was a, a Victorian apprenticeship, basically set up mainly for, for Repco apprentices. In fact, my year... I was the only non-Repco person in the class that I went through with. So, you know, it was pretty much a Repco-based system or Repco apprentices, they they did a year in their own own school before the, the normal tech school and practical work. Did you know of his Formula One connection, that he was the first Australian to compete there? No, I, I didn't. Coming from the country, I, I, my brother had been to a do a, been to a motor show and and had a, a business card from PEs, and that was how it how it happened. I hopped on a tram and and went found his workshop and yeah knocked on the door and and that uh, that sort of pretty much how things happened all along. Really, there wasn't I'm not was not a, a situation of answering a an advert. It was um, I've probably been lucky that I presented myself, and things went from there. From there, I was sort of as an as an apprentice in 1970. I'd I'd completed my leaving technical certificate, and I I got a, an exemption. I think from the first year of, of tech school, and then I sort of it was a bit of a, a Rapid progression. I I finished the, my four year or finished the the next three years in in the first two years of my apprenticeship. After that, I then got a job with Graham Ritter. Graham had been with Stills running uh, their Escort and uh, Falcon and Formula Fords, and uh, he he'd gone out on his own building engines and. I started in '72. I um, joined Graham, and he was very good to me, and you know, quite influential. You know, I had a a good basic grounding in um, the engine reconditioning side of things through my apprenticeship and with Paul England, and then um, I worked 
you know, with with Graham doing many Formula Fords, because at at that period of time, I think we did most of the the Formula Fords in the country, including the, certainly initially, John Leffler in his championship year the previous year, and a a lot of the the Sydney people as well as the the Melbourne people, and also um, did twin games for Formula 2 and I was in, involved with building a, a twin cam for Malcolm Ramsey for the, the very first Varana Formula 2. Then from that I became quite aware of the Varanas from the beginning. I uh, ordered a, a Varana Formula Ford which Tony Alcock had built a car in Sydney. I believe it was originally built for John Goss to run. But I'm not sure whether Gossie actually raced it or not, but it was a car that then was run by David Mingay. And anyway, after the initial Burana, Malcolm and, and Tony formed Burana Cars, and I ordered a, a Formula Ford shortly after John Davison ordered one. And we had, had the, um, the first couple of Baranas and I continued doing a lot of Formula Ford engines and eventually moving on from from Graham to uh, work for, for Tony and Malcolm in Adelaide doing workshop machining and I was involved with the, with the running of the mechanic on Eno Busselman's car that uh, was owned by Bob and Marge Brown. And after that period, I was considering going to the UK and I, I had a change of heart and, and returned to Melbourne and did some more time with Graham Ritter and when he had a turbocharged project that turbocharged the Cologne Capri that was the um, European version of the engine with uh, Westlake heads not the Essex engine that Cosworth later developed with a quad cam and a smaller pushrod engine with Westlake it's from there I, I eventually decided to go to the to the UK. My first port of call when I got there was Cosworth. They had a fairly stable workforce and probably reasonably conservative and uh, they then suggested that I see John Dunn at Swindon Racing Engines. And so I, I went and saw John and he gave a start there. As it turned out, well, Swindon Racing Engines was... John Dunn and Keith Duckworth was the, the major shareholder in the business, then John and then three of the other Cosworth directors. So it was a company sort of set up basically for um, for servicing Cosworth engines. And so I started there um, doing BDA engines for the, the British Atlantic series and then moved on to DFVs. At that time, did DFEs for a number of teams. The Shadow being probably the, the majority of engines. Penske's at that, that time were, were running one car for John Watson. In fact, that was his win in the Penske was the, the first win that Swindon had had with a, with a DFE. So there were engines for for Surtees, for Lotus, I think a, a, a very early days, a number of the, 
of the smaller teams. And then British Leyland had, had come to, to Swindon with a, um, a project to build a, a Formula 3 engine or, or continued actually because uh, well, there had been some involvement with or Holbay were doing a version of their the Dolomite Sprint engine for Formula 3. Swindon took that project on and John gave me the, the job to uh, to look after that and that went on for a, for a few years with limited success but had a, a couple of wins with Brett Riley and more notably Nigel Mansell in his, his sort of final season of, of F3 and after to that I uh, or attempted to do engines for myself with a bit of help from John Dunn and uh, I was doing Formula 3 engines and my first customer actually was Eddie Jordan after a, well probably three quarters of the season I, I could say I, you know I wasn't managing that too well and so um, I then joined uh, Brian Hart and that, that was quite quite fruitful the time with Brian we had the the year with with Tolman's with a Formula 2 engine uh, Brian Henton won the championship and with Derek Warwick as the the runner-up and um, then the the following year was Tolman's at decided to give Formula One a, a go and um, Brian agreed to develop a, um, a 1.5 litre turbo engine from basically what was the, the Formula 2 engine reduced in capacity from the 2 litre to, to 1.5. So uh, I was heavily in, involved with that, built all the, the prototypes and involved with the, with the testing and the the initial running of, of that engine and the um, through the the first year, which was quite difficult, we didn't get a, a final qualification. In those those days, they had pre qualifying as as well for for Formula One because the field was oversubscribed, and you know it was a long hard road and a lot of learning to be done. As you know, Renault had, had been plugging away at it for about three years and and Ferrari just came in on, on that year and, and BMW that had all been uh, developing, uh, BMW developed again uh, what was a version of their, their Formula 2 engine and Ferrari had, had a, an all-new design V6. And um, from that point on, I um, various personal changes in that I, I I returned to Australia, worked mainly with Formula Atlantics in the oh. or Formula Pacific, sorry, as they were they were known here and in the in the heyday of, of that category. Carrying on from various various projects and um, I, I then worked with building a, a sports sedan with Elwyn Bickley, who I'd known from my days at, at Baranas have become a quite a good friend of Alwyn and is a very talented engineer and fabricator. Then after that I moved on to spend a quite a number of years in the in the aviation industry doing um, engine overhauls and piston engine 
for uh, aircraft and helicopters. And then from that point, I ended up back in doing Formula Ford with Mike Quinn, that time where I, I met up with Peter Wallace and worked with Pete with a number of, of projects that he was uh, involved with, Formula Brabham, then Formula Holden, and then on work with the, the building of the first Mark Larkham car for, for supercars. That chassis was was done again with Elwyn Bickley uh, in Goulburn. I worked along with Peter doing doing the engine, and yeah, so that that was quite a project. It was a little different from the from the average supercar at the time. Possibly bit off a little bit more than I could chew, and uh, eventually stopped chewing. I, I then uh, spent an, another period of time with, with the aviation industry uh, before then re- returning to supercars for a short period of time with, with working with Pete Wallace. He'd been working with various teams on the on the Gold Coast and including DJRs and then we worked in, in Brisbane doing the engines for Team Dynamic. That got a little bit too much for me and that's pretty well where my contemporary motor racing ended. Do you keep tuned to what's happening in touring cars, in supercars racing nowadays? I keep an eye on things and I, I speak with Pete Wallace quite often just discussing engines with, with Pete, uh, keeping an, an eye on, on what's uh, what's happening there with, with the, as far as the, the category and changes go, yeah. I'm not too much on the the personnel side or anything, not more just to do with, with um, regulations and so forth. If you had a blank sheet paper designing the next generation of supercar, what do you think you'd be making? It becomes very difficult to involve manufacturers. As motor racing has happened in most categories now, they're they're pretty much one make chassis, one engine, and, and that doesn't necessarily suit. I mean, outside Formula One, which is just you know extreme. Other than the the American categories, it almost eliminates manufacturers if you go down a one make route. I guess I, I would be um, more inclined to uh, for the supercar situation to I guess, I guess the the Ford engine from a point of view of the economics. I, I think I'm. Not too sure about the uh, parity or, or reaching a parity of um, different concept engines and different capacity. Um, I, I think there will be a, a continual worry there, which a lot of it won't be very well founded, but that's how how things happen. But there, you know, there's too much variation on efficiency of two you know different engine systems and and capacities i i think it'll be a a can of worms that um will be hard to keep in the can i'm not not too sure on the transmission side 
of things. I I was probably a, a little disappointed that that they went away from the Australian product with the with the Albans transmission, but. And again, you know, I don't know the, the practical engineering details there. Certainly from outside, it didn't appear that there was um, a great reliability problem. But yeah, I think whether it's paddle shift or um, a, a manual shift or a H pattern, it, it really doesn't matter. I can see going away from the H pattern give more reliability from the engines in Formula One. That was quite a significant change to have engines that were were controlled, you know, through paddle shift on on down change, the the clutch all working uh, hydraulically, you know, from the computer, that made a significant difference in the reliability of engines. It, when my time, say, with with Brian Hart, Brian Henton and Derek Warwick were the, the two Tolman drivers, you could pull down the two engines and you could tell the whether it was a Brian Hinton engine or, or a Derek Warwick engine, because Brian Hinton was an animal with the with the gearbox, and the it, it showed through to the engine. Um, so the automated system in the the transmission had a, a significant influence on the reliability of engines. It's not a good driver can adapt and it all becomes a level playing field again. Yeah, from a a reliability point of view, that automated system gives more more reliability than, you know, a a more economical uh, system. So from from that point of view, the um, fully controlled paddle shift system is the best if you're looking for to minimise your running costs, but you know there the can be there's going to be more expense initial expense in that and, and um, perfecting that as well. So I don't um, I don't have a, a real view of what I would do as far as a, an engine or, or a concept. I think it whatever done will take a, a, a lot of lot of work there'll be there is no no miracles there's no magic it's all down to uh, hard work and as with life in general a, a lot of things that are, are done with the thought of minimizing cost can in the end have no real change because they they also complicate things. The simplest systems are generally the best. Yeah, I, I guess that that would be the the line that I, I would the critical way I'd look at things is is um, to try and make things as, as simple as possible. From what you've told us today, your involvement from the 70s, 80s and 90s 
is truly in a magnificent period. Your career is an extraordinary one to have involved with, with the projects you were, the cars, the teams, the drivers. It's been wonderful to uh, learn some of your story. And I think at some stage in the near future, I'm going to have to catch up with you in person to talk more about it because there are obviously some extraordinary tales in there that we'd love to hear and share with our listeners. So thank you for joining us, uh, Steve Dewhurst, on Inside Supercars. We look forward to catching up in person and uh, hope that uh, you'll uh, still remain involved and interested in motorsport as much as you have in the last 50 or so years. Thanks again, Steve Dewhurst. Thank you, Tony. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next time for more or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited.